Welcome back. Welcome back to another Book of Job podcast. I am your host, Joanna Joe Smith, and this is what I found in the Bible this week. So we've been on a journey. Someone said that the character Jesus may be set up to confuse us, and they said that the New Testament may need a side eye. And while we're still uncertain of the validity of that claim, we acknowledge that we cannot combat a person using our Bible to say such things if we haven't read our Bible ourselves to know the truth. So in effort to get it right and to know for ourselves, to be sure and to die with clean hands, we have been reading the Old Testament chronologically for the past five episodes. And this is episode six. So we're picking it up in Genesis 14 today. Now let's set the scene because y'all know I read this like a screenplay. So we're coming out of the Lot and Abram split. They both came up off of the Pharaoh, right? They came up and they, um, well, basically the Pharaoh was trying to pay Abram for his wife unknowingly because Abram said Sarai was his sister. Now, We know he wasn't lying because Sarai is the daughter-in-law of Abram's father, Terah. And she is a child of the Most High God, making her Abram's sister spiritually also. So no lies were detected, all right? And uh, it was all good. But the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh got God handed to him for breaking the commandment. Um, breaking commandment 10 to be exact, coveting his neighbor's wife. And so he took the L and he sent both Lot and Abram away with all the gifts that he had given them. And the two came up greatly from that, what we call a righteous heist. So in fact, they came up so lovely that in chapter 13 of Genesis, they had to part ways. The land couldn't hold all the cattle and the caravan of folks that were with them. So now y'all remember, Abram gave Lot a choice to choose which land he wanted first. Then Abram said he'd take whatever Lot didn't choose, but Lot chose the east. Remember that? So we know nothing good is in the east. Adam and Eve were banned out of the east of Eden. Cain was banished to the east. And every time the east comes up, there's nothing good over there. But Lot pitched tent towards Saddam in the east according to Genesis 13, verse 12, all right? So I said, maybe he did this because he was a little homesick, all right? Lot had his wife back there. And even though we haven't read that portion of the Bible yet, we do know, most of us know the story of Saddam and Gomorrah. And we know that it's been destroyed already based on chapter 13, verse 10. And that says that. But chapter 13, verse um, 13 in Genesis tells us that the men of Saddam were wicked sinners before El Shaddai exceedingly. Like they just did too much over there, okay? So God put his right hand down on it, all right? Now, Lot, even though all of this happened, he still pitched his tent toward Saddam. So he chose the land that looked like Egypt. It says that in chapter 13, verse 10. He chose the land that resembled Eden, places where sin had been uh, had taken place and then the consequences were rendered there in the east. So we know Lot was one of the ones that God loved, but who loved some things that God despises. And we've all been like Lot once or twice, I'm sure. Just once or twice, right? <laughs> all right. So Abram and Lot, they split. 
Lot heads east towards Freaknik, or whatever's left of it over there, right? And Abram settles in Mamre, the land of the well-fed. Now, we know this because we've learned in these studies to look up every single name in the Bible when they appear because God is giving us more content in the names. There is a subtext happening through the names, through the bloodline, through these um, namesakes, right? And um, in the land of the well-fed, Abram is promised mad seeds, like mad land, mad children by God. And it hasn't been given to him yet, but in chapter 13, verse 17, it says that El Shaddai says he will give it to give it unto thee, unto Abram. So it will happen. We can put our our uh, our money on that. All right. So that's where we left off and we pick it up in a fight scene. There's lots of commotion. Genesis chapter 14. We learn that the God who got all the money is the God who got all all the people. So get your drinks, get your snacks, and come right back as this message is titled 24 Carat People. This is the book of Joe. My book. Let's go deep inside where the sea People stop reading the Bible. Let's open up the Exodus 28-11. They don't understand it. Glory to God. There are so many promises in this book. We got to get back to telling the truth. John 16, 33. I'm told you to sing so that you may have peace. Nah, I'm not a minister. <laughs> you can't hear down your faith. You got to get your own. But people just need to see it from a different perspective. God really is good all the time. God says, if he loved me, keep my commandments. I first ask myself, who's speaking? Did you reach me? And then everything sounds different from there. But God does not lie. I'm Joe, and this is what I found in the Bible. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you for another day of life, health, and strength. We thank you, oh God, for peace. We thank you for the ability to read, Father God, to listen, to have attentive uh, mannerisms, God, that we're not disrupted by any ailments, oh God, for those of us who are in our good um in our good health. For those of us who are not, oh God, we think of them on this time. And we just pray that your messages are still able to be received in the way that only you can through the spirit, through the heart, through the love, through the good, um, through the good tidings from us, God, the things that we do to show you're more evident in the world. Oh God, I pray that anyone that you've blessed or that, that you blessed through me, um, would also just know that it's you that has chosen them today to hear my voice, to be spoken to from you to them, that this message is not coincidental, but everything that you do is in perfection, oh God. And I thank you for continuing to use me, little old humble me, little old imperfect me, little old mistake making me uh, to continue to bring the truth that you give me uh, to your people, to continue to have this opportunity to show you how much I love you, how much I adore what you've done for me. If you do nothing, 
nothing else. You've blessed me and I thank you. I thank you for my family. I thank you for what we have, what we don't have because you said so. Sometimes your no's are more powerful than your yeses. I thank you for the things you've said no to, to protect me, the things you've done to keep us. I just thank you because somebody right now needed to know that when God told them no, that it is a blessing on their, on their life, that it, it didn't align with your plans for them and that you have better things on the way. God, we still trust you today. We still trust you. And we know that we're going to get to the bottom of this. And we know that while you're guiding us and leading us, we know we cannot go astray as long as we just keep you focused as our focal point And as long as we just keep righteousness on our hearts. So we thank you again for continuing to gather us and keep us safe week to week and to continue to use us for your good and for your glory. For that, we say hallelujah. 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 Way. All right. Welcome to chapter 14, y'all. Chapter 14 of Genesis. So we open it up and it's what? Names. Yes. Names. We find some names right at the front of this. There's four against five we see. All right. So we're going to get out our abrahimpublications.com, right? So A-B-R-A-I-M dash publications, P-U-B-L-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S.com right? That's where we go to, to look up all of our names when they're listed in this manner. And we're going to get into the bottom of it. All right. So we start off with four. We got Amroth L, y'all peep that, of Shinar. We've got Ariok of El Azer, right? And then we've got Shed Orla Omer of El Lam. And then we have Title of Nations. All right. So that's how this thing starts. We break those names down. There's a lot of L in there. I'm having a a feeling that they are on the side that God wanted them to be on. So it says their names mean the commandment which went forth to cast, cast out a breach lion like rebellious God. Okay. That was pretty straightforward there. All right. Now, Shedorla Omer is a tricky name. All right, because it's not in the Abraham list as it is. But instead, if you use the breaks that's given in the Bible where they've taken apart the name itself, you have shed by itself, which means joy. Then you have Orla, which by itself you can find in the Abraham, and it means um, foreskin which we associate as the mark of the Hebrew male, right? We haven't gotten there yet, but um, glory to God, I was listening to a sermon today with my husband. And so we do know, um, or rather it just came to us actually while we were listening to something else today, uh, that it's going to come up in Genesis chapter 17 about circumcision and the foreskin being a Hebrew thing. But, But for now, Orla means foreskin, okay? And then the Omer is a unit of measurement. So the name is actually three words put together. And those three words kind of leave me to interpret that name to represent a relational focus between God and the people, which is what? A covenant, yes? All right, so that's what I'm getting from that name. That's my my opinion. You guys hit me up. You know how to find me. You can send me a, a, a email to bookofjoe at gmail.com or, you know, hit us up on the phone and leave me a voicemail or send me a text message to 3132, the BLS, right? Black Love Smiths, that's us. So you can uh, let me know if you felt something different from that name, but that's what I came up with. All right. And then we have Elam, which means hidden. 
All right. So title means high praise from the word yada. All right. And nations means what y'all? Nations. (laughs) That's right. You guessed it. (laughs) So this is what speaks to me when I do the full translation. Now, the commandment which went forth to cast out a breech lion like rebellious God, the full joy of a covenant hidden in the high praise of the nations. Yes, we good. We hear that. We put the names together. Great. So who are we up against? All right. Because it says these four go against a five and the five are one, Bera of Saddam. And we know Saddam ain't nothing good come out of there. Bersha of Gomorrah. We know nothing good came out of there. So obviously this is not shaping up to be the side we're rooting for. Shinab or Adma of Adma rather. And then Shemaber of Zeboim, right? And then we also have Bela or Bela of Zoar. And we recognize Zoar was the place Lot thought was beautiful in chapter 13, verse 10, along with the other places that God was not pleased with. So we're clear that this squad of five is not our squad, right? Now, the thing about it that's interesting is that neither one is really our squad because they're fighting, all right? (laughs) So that's that thing. However, one of them is in purpose and is in alignment with God. And that's pretty clear to us, which one that is. All right. Considering we've seen three cities, Saddam, Gomorrah, and Zoar on the opposite side of goodness. Okay. So we plug them into our abrahimpublications.com. And what do we get when we do our translations? When we start with Bera and move down, it says the son of evil flaming burnt son of wickedness and people who shoot arrows or people of fear to be sharp. The red ground, we talked about that before, known for being strong collectives, red ground collectives, we talked about that, we're talking about the blood, swallow up to become insignificant. That is what that whole lineage of names means, okay? So that's what we peeped from there. So we already know that there's a a curse on that side, clearly, um, from our God Almighty, all right? Here we go. And then this all tastes takes place in the valley of Sidim or Sidim, whichever one, however you want to pronounce it, which means division. All right. So this is what it's all about. Separation from good and evil. But we have to understand that the two are related. All right. Related in both terms, uh, both definitions of the term, right? Good and evil. We talked about the brotherhood of the two opposite sides. We talked about that. And even in their opposite, um, how they need to both exist to help define each other. This is what we talk about when we're talking about Satan and El Shaddai possibly being brothers, right? We talked about that earlier in other episodes. Please go back and check those out if you'd like, all right? So because our God, Elohim, loves balance, we can expect there to be good and to be evil paired uh, paired up in a place at the same time, all right? But they cannot rule the same space at the same time, if that makes sense. All right. So here we go. That was 14, one through three. I think it's also worth noting that the saltiest sea that it talks about in this um, verse is the Atlantic Ocean. All right. Since verse three mentions the salt sea, the V implies that it's the greatest of the seas, right? If I say I'm the one, then that means I'm some 
important one, right? Um, so that tells me that um, that tells me an ocean is is the of the seas, the one of the seas, the biggest one of the seas, right? And the saltiest one of the ones is the Atlantic. Just want to throw that out there that we shouldn't assume that the Red Sea, Dead Sea, Caspian Sea or any of the other seas are what we're talking about when we read this because there's a lot of truth that is being unveiled for us. Glory to God, as long as we're willing. Okay. Okay. So there's a squad of four and it's fighting a squad of five. We again have the smaller over the bigger. Right. So we can almost predict what's going to happen because we know our God and his characteristics. We know his M.O. We know our Bible staples and we know that the last is the first. The smallest overtakes the larger. The the uh, younger overtakes the elder. So we can assume that this four is going to beat the five. But let's read about it. Right. So it says in the 13th year, they started fighting. Uh Chapter 14 of Genesis verse four says they served for 12 years and then they rebelled, right? Then in the 14th year, right? The fullness of joy measured in the foreskin shed or l'amour, all right? Or the covenant, right? Smoked. Names. Here we go again. We've got names, a bunch of them, all right? So Rephaim in Ashertoth. Or, or Ashtaroth, sorry, Karnaim and the Zuzims in Ham and the Emims in Shave Kirathim. All right. Now, let me pause a sec and tell you guys that I finally found out what the Eim is about. Like Elohim, remember we talked about it being plural? The Hebrew has a way of emphasizing words to a higher status by pluralizing them. That's a word, okay? So the language will create a plural to give it a higher reference or show its intensity, all right? So when you see these eems, that's what the Hebrew is doing. The Hebrew language is doing for us, is, is explaining that these are uh, heavier topics than what they appear, right? The objects are deeper than they appear. All right. So that is even more reason why we need to translate these names and find out what God is saying in the web of the names. So let's do that. Let's translate the names I just said from chapter 14, verses four and five. And we're going to get this. The sunken ones. Giants. That's what it's referring to. Sunken how? From the flood. All right. That's what the sunken is referring to. All right. So the sunken ones, one law or union of laws radiates or has two horns. The seasonal migrants, which right there to me could mean the Hebrews, right? Because we migrate, we, we're nomadic people, right? The seasonal migrants protective wall, giants of the plain of the double city. Now, I have not introduced y'all to the Hebrew Israelite belief that the original land is the Americas. I haven't discussed the correlation between the Nile and the Mississippi River, and I won't do it today either. What I will say is the double city mentioned in the translation of the name Kiriathiem or Kiriathiem could easily be seen as the twin cities of Minnesota, right? Located on the Nile, I mean Mississippi river right <laughs> as minneapolis 
which is Greek for water city, and St. Paul, which is most known as the pig's eye. And I want y'all to know that they are both located in Ramsey County, by the way. Ramsey County, like Pharaoh Ramsey. Okay. Uh, but there's no way that this land can be one of the Bible, right? Not here in America, even if it has Memphis, Egypt. I mean, Memphis, Tennessee, just 12 hours away from the area I just mentioned, or Mount Hor Horeb, four hours away from that. And the plains of the double city could possibly be the great plains of North, North America. But nope, 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 not today. I'm just translating these names. <laughs> okay, let's continue. Now we've got Horites, Mount Seir, El Paran, right? Amishpat, which is Kadesh, the book says. And the Amalekites, the Amorites, which we've translated before to be the babblers, right? And the Hazenzantema, all right? So when we go through these, it, it lets us know that the Horites are the cavemen or central authority, all right? And Mount Seir is derived from intense negative emotion and violent experience. Ooh, violent experience, okay? This is what Abraim gives us. It says hairy guys, bucks, which are horned creatures, right? Horrors and storm riders, all right, there's a lot of talk going on right now in the world about the four horsemen. I looked up storm riders. It says it's the, the rider that goes before these four horsemen. I'm not sure what's going on with that for say, but I just wanted to make sure that I threw that out there in case God has been speaking to you about some of these subliminal context images that have been coming up in our um, media. All right. Now, y'all could look up. All of this yourselves. I'm not making it up. You can go to abraim-publications.com and plug in each name. In fact, I implore you to do so so that you can get this for yourself and then share with me what it's saying to your spirit, right? So when we break it down from what we broke it down, it's the caveman or central authority, intense negative emotion, which is rage or hatred, and violent experience. The hairy guys, Esau, right? Was considered hairy. Edom is Esau, right? We talked about that before in one of my other ones, the fate of Esau that has nothing to do with this season. But if you got time to go listen to that, please do, right? Talks about bucks, which are horned animals. We talk about the horned lamb. We talk about the horned um, goat. We talk about the, the these Baphomet um, images that are coming up all of a sudden. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Y'all don't want to stop listening to her music because y'all like her music a lot. But the woman is clearly showing y'all she's she's playing for other teams. We're just going to be clear about that. And you got to ask yourself, do you love God enough to let go of some of your favorite memories to her music? All right. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to give her no, no, no juice. You know who I'm talking about. All right. All right. And then so it says the hairy guys, Bucks. Horned horror storm riders to glorify God, the eye of judgment or fountain of governance, which is holy or sacred. People that lap, talkers, babblers, right? Split palm or divide the hand. A semi-free market. 
So there's prophetic imagery in that translation, y'all. But that semi-free market stands out to me. The free market is based on exchange of wealth for goods and services. We're not going to get into what wealth is, but I think it's interesting that um, the Lord is painting the imagery of the central government being one of rage and hatred all set up to glorify God who is the judge and who is holy and sacred. There are people that lap as dogs do. They slumber in the lap of social labor. That is a famous Marxist manifesto claim. That comes from Karl Marx. And we know that communism is an ideology that would cause some limitations. All right, but we'll get back to that. All right, right now, I, we're talking about the economy, the money flow. That's what this is about today. And I want you to just keep track of the hints about the money flow. All right. It all makes sense at the end. You know, you know, I try to make sure it does. All right. With God's help. Hallelujah. All right. So here we go. Right before we get into how this battle results in the four causing the five to flee into the valley of division, which is Siddim, um, you know what, we could like ignore what we translated and just say that it's interesting, but look at the following verse. Chapter 14, verse 11 says, uh, the four took all the goods of Saddam and Gomorrah and all their victuals, which is food. And remember, there's a famine going on and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Saddam and his goods and departed, all right? So the use of the term goods is directly in step with what we just talked about, about this, this economic setup, right? It's And this I got from the translated name, right? And it ends with the semi-free market when I do the translation of the names, all right? But it's an allusion to Karl Marx and communism or the free market concept of supply and demand by trade of goods for services. In essence, we are looking at communism versus capitalism in this chapter on the low, on the subtext, okay? In which the main difference of those two is that in communism, the community's interests go before the individual's interests. And in capitalism, an individual's freedom takes precedence over the community. So the, so the goods are in the hands of the underdogs at this point. All right, let's just keep that in mind. And those underdogs are the four whose names gave us this translation, the commandment which went forth to cast out a breach, lion, like rebellious God, the full joy of co of a covenant hidden in the high praise of the nations and those four have all the wealth of the son of evil flaming burnt son of wickedness and people who shoot arrows or people of fear to be sharp the red ground known for being strong collectives the blood swallow up to become insignificant now Take note of how this second batch is violent and murderous, as the mention of the red ground implies. Now, understanding these things, we also see in chapter 13, one who escaped to tell it. This reminds me of Job. Doesn't it remind you of Job, guys? Where Job had, the, there was only one messenger who escaped to tell of the events that took place. And it's the same here in verse 13 that we see. This is the verse, the only verse 
the only time in the Bible where Abram is called a Hebrew. And we knew he was already because we dissected the line of Shem. But just so that y'all know, I'm not spinning y'all in circles and taking y'all around about. This helps us check and balance ourselves. Abram came from Peleg Jokten split, right? He came from the Peleg Jokten, Jokten brotherly split. We talked about that in episode five. So Eber is the Hebrew and Abram is one of them, one of Shem's, right? So in the same verse 13, we see the names Mamre, which means to be well-fed, the brother of Eshkol, which comes from the verb kol, which means the whole, and the brother of Aner, or Aner, meaning man. So the whole man were aligned to Abram, all right, is the subtext. On the surface, though, Abram hears about his nephew and takes 318 men in an army of warriors trained in his company to go get his what? His brother, Lot, right? Who is actually his nephew. But again, it's driving home the fact that Abram did not lie when he said Sarai was his sister. It's also driving home the fact that Abram is loving his nephew through his love of his brother and redeeming that line that we talked about, right? That younger son redeeming the older son's line. All right. All right, y'all, it's coming together. All right. So that's 1414. So they went to get Lot in Dan, which means judge. Y'all know Dan is one of the sons of Israel, but we didn't get there yet. But Dan means judge. All right. So they went to go get Lot from the judge, right? From judgment. All right. Y'all peeping that? And that's where the four, the, the people before, the four, all right, who fought the war, uh, who fought that battle, they took the goods. They took Lot and the goods of Saddam and Gomorrah to Dan, all right? And then 1415 says that Abram and his crew attacked by night and chased them, the four, right, to Hobah, which is the hiding place on the left hand of Damascus. So if it's on the left hand of Damascus, then it's on the east side of Damascus, which means that Damascus is a good thing. And they went over to the bad side where the thing is going to go down, right? Where Abram had to handle his business with them. And Damascus means the beginning of salvation. All right. So we're still talking about redemption. We're still talking about salvation. We're still talking about a redemptive God, but we're, we've only heard the name of El Shaddai so far. All right. We still don't know who Jesus is. All right. Now, Look at chapter 14, verse 16. It says, Abram brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women and also the people. God is a restorer, y'all. Let's take a quick break and come on back. Stand accused, they bent the truth, I swear, so help me God. I've been abused and came to you when they felt me good. This is my truth, I need you to prevail the odds What do I do? I need Thank help Thank you, Lord Please visit BlackLoveSniffs.com 
All right, I want to remind you guys that you are all always invited to worship God with me and my husband and my family on all social media. We are the Black Love Smiths on everything, and you can go to blacklovesmiths.com to hear some of our music or just to read up about us and, and keep track of the things that we're going to be doing uh, for the glory of El Shaddai, especially moving forward in this new season. All right, now before the break, we see that Abram went and retrieved his nephew and brother, right, in God and all of his possessions that were taken from him. So we're in chapter 14 of Genesis, verse 17 now, and it says, excuse me, the king of Saddam went out to meet Abram after the slaughter of the four kings that beat the five, right? In the valley of the plains or Sheve or Shave of the king's valley, right? Valley of the kings, we might say. Verse 18 says, Meshezeldek enters the scene, all right? And his name means the king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which means perfect or peace, all right? So this is the first time we've seen wine and bread come into our chronological study. May have happened before that if you just read straight through, but we are going according to the time frame, all right? And so this is the first time we see the bread and the wine. And so... Um, I believe it's also the first time that we see Elohim referred to as the most high God. All right. But this king of righteousness, Meshezeldek, also called the priest of the most high God. All right. Who we know is Elohim. And we can see his name, Me'el Shizedek. All right. That he has a God purpose. He's wielding an L. All right, so he shows up with his bread and wine and verse 19 says he blesses Abram saying, blessed Abram of the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand or to thy hand. All right. And he gave him tithes of all. Now, note that the Hebrew and the Akkadian public tax system was based on tithing. It stipulated that people were to part with a tenth of their private possessions and income to serve the nation at large. This percentage was chosen as 10, probably so it um, probably because it explained that the public tax served predominantly to create social cohesion and unity. So note that the name of the Levites who were practical recipients and processors of the tithes Numbers uh, 1824 says that means to join. Now that is a quote that I took directly from Abraham um, publications. So I like it. It fits here because we are tying in our economic structure that we talked about before the break into right here where it is neither to give in disregard of oneself, like they say, communism states, nor is it to create wealth by hoarding as capitalism states. It's not to feed just the nation or to feed just yourself. That is not God's way. God's way is to tithe a portion. He says, go ahead and prosper. But as, you're, as you prosper and of your prosperity, bless at 10% back into the community for the greater of the people of God on the whole. All right? And I got to stop there for a second because God is speaking to my spirit. We at 10 hundredfold collect tithes. Um, my husband and I own 
Ten Hundred Fold, which is our ministry company. Um, what we do is we collect tithes of ourselves, our hard work, whatever we're blessed with, and and any of those people who have come to love and 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 support our ministry, we collect their tithes too. It's not a lot of people, but it's for those who are churchless or unchurched who seek to. Uh, hear our ministry and who seek to tie to something they can say is really going to be used for God. Um, so we don't have a lot of people, but God is inviting me to share our, our ministry as an example right now. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And he told me and my husband that our tithes should go into our ministry collective, right? And then be retithed specifically to place more God in the world. So we collect tithes of those who have been told to bless our ministry. If you're if you're told to bless us, then that's what's going to happen. If you're not told to, we're not worried about it. We're not looking for it. We're not that type of ministry. It's not what we're doing. We believe in God. We believe on God. We know God will provide whatever. And he has, right? So we then take tithe out of that at 12%, according to my husband's faith, right? And we place 12% of the money that comes into 10 hundred fold into envelopes, right? Sometimes the envelopes have $10. Sometimes they have five. Sometimes they have 20. And we use that money to feed the people, feed the people who are out here hungry. And our envelopes have a word of God on them. When you open it up, it says, um, you know, something like God has not forgotten you. It has a, a quote from Hosea. Uh, about sowing seeds and we give those out and and we want to um, be representative excuse me for that my phone uh, just went off but we want to be representative of how God will provide in the low tide for so many people so we take our tithes and we retithe them out all right and we give whether we have a lot or whether we have a little because we've been we've been uh, blessed right so that money has fed so many people that God has sent to ask us specifically it's like people just know it's in our car we leave it in our glove compartment and we have it ready for whomever whomever God sends our way and sometimes who we just see on our way right and we have been blessing people in the name of God since we came back to Connecticut whether we have a little bit or whether we have a lot but I'm sharing this because not for us and not for our self gratification but because God is amazing and because God told me to bring it to your attention um, this fact and this fact alone as you tithe to your church or wherever you go where does your church tithe to all right because it's not supposed to stop there where are our church fed health centers and schools and after school programs and organic grocery stores? It's not meant to collect the money for the pastor's fly house and for his amazing car. That's an individualized rich richness. All right. That's missing a bit of God's love in it. When things are done in God, there is no lack. So there's no way that your minister has a Hummer or has a Lexus, well, Lexus is all right, right? <laughs> or has whatever, a BMW, but there's people in the, the seats who cannot pay their light bill. That's something's not right. They're supposed to be a tithe outward back into the community, back into the focus that God will place on the true leader of the house's heart, should it be set up right. And that is what's supposed to be happening, but it doesn't happen that way. So I'm telling you guys, you have a right to know where your tithes are going. And if it's not going back into the community, you have a right to use your God-given heart to lovingly chastise and what we say, reprove, all right? F to, to let it be known that, listen, 
This money goes into the church for the church to give back out according to the will of God. Because there should be no lack among you. All right? All right, let me come down back because I can go on that for all day. Hallelujah. Away. Thank you, God, for the message. All right, let me go back now. I'm talking about Meshezeldeck. He gave Abram tithes of all. So he gave him a little bit of everything that he had, right? And that was his service to God, not to Abram, all right? But this is the part I love and the whole reason behind this message today. While the king of righteousness is blessing Abram and parting with his wealth for him, the king of Saddam was present, right? Remember, he came down to meet with him. And here's what the king of Saddam did. He's clearly defeated, clearly aware of the power of God over Abram. And in verse 21, it says, the king of Saddam said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. Why? Why would the king of Saddam, the king of the flaming burnt, want the people over the goods, y'all? Because the people are the goods. The people are the 24 karat gold of the world, y'all. There is no greater wealth in this realm than the leadership of the people. But look at Abram. Abram had no intention of keeping nor giving people, right? He clarifies that they are not his to give. Verse 22, and Abram said to the king of Saddam, I have lift up mine hand, meaning I promise, unto El Shaddai, the most high God. Elohim, the possessor of the heaven and earth. He's the possessor, he says, okay? Verse 23, that I will not from a thread, even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that thine, that's yours. Lest you should say, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. There's a colon, and we know that colons clarify everything that came before it. So Abraham is saying, what I mean by that is, verse 24, set only, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me. Aner, which means man, eshko, meaning whole, and mammer, the well-fed. Let them take their portion, he said. All right, so he wanted them to be blessed for riding out with him. He's a true leader where he takes none for himself and his wealth comes from God. Could you do that? All money ain't good money, but God got all the money that you and I want, right? We just got to want God more than the money. Can we do that? I'm so grateful that y'all heard me out this week. Please know that every one of you, every one of you is the wealth and prosperity that God sees in the world, right? You are the 24 karat gold of the world and God is fighting to retain you as wealth for himself, all right? Thank y'all again for listening to me this week. It's what I found in the Bible. Happy Sabbath. I love y'all, but God loves you way more than me. So we give him glory and we say hallelujah way. God bless you. The Book of Joe is but a portion of a family ministry called the Black Love Smiths. To follow the Black Love Smiths, you can do so at Black Love Smiths on Instagram or Facebook. To get in contact with Joe, please email bookofjoe at gmail.com. God bless you. <laughs>